Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. have uh, been uh, dealing with life, the reality of life. How many enjoyed Pastor Frank's last few weeks talking about life, different aspects? Today we're going to talk about life priorities. Life priorities are an attempt to order our lives so that the most good can come from them. You know, we use phrase like, um, I got to get it together, or um, my life's out of control, or, you know, we have this sense that our life needs to have some order to it so that it can have some rhyme and reason, so that it can be managed in, in a profitable or a you know, healthy kind of way. And um, that's important for us to understand. I, I want to go right to the next slide that asks this question. Is life something that just happens? Or can you affect it in some way? Does life just happen? Is it just... You know, people talk a lot about fate or, you know, karma is a popular word now. Or in Christianity, we, you know, if, if we don't want to take responsibility for something, we just emphasize the sovereignty of God. You know, it's just kind of an excuse to not be responsible. And by the way, I believe in the sovereignty of God. Don't really believe in karma, you know, or fate. But, uh, you know, that, that's an appropriate Bible doctrine. But sometimes we tend to just not want to take enough responsibility for our life. And so we tend to lean on the other side. Well, life just happens and you can't do much to affect it. Whatever happens is going to happen. And, or you just get into a whatever, you know, kind of attitude. Well, how many know the Bible clearly teaches that we can have a positive hope and view of life because life can change. Life can get better. You can do better. You can become a better person. God can bless your life. Life can be changed. It, it can be planned. It can be affected by our efforts, by our responses, by our attitudes, etc. Life is something that there, there's actually this, in fact, if there was no personal responsibility, that we wouldn't have a lot of hope. Because how can you improve what you can't change? I mean, if you, if you can't do any better and things can't get any better and there's no fruit for, you know, hard work and there's no fruit for really surrendering your life to God, then then it's like, okay, we're just blowing in the wind, you know, just kind of taking life as it comes. But there are some things you can't change, but there's a lot that you can. There are some things you can't do anything about, but thank God there's some stuff you can do something about. Are you happy about that today? Yeah. You can do something about your yard. It will look better. <laughs> you know, you can do something about life. Well, my next premise here is that life finds its meaning and value within order. That apart from order, life doesn't have a lot of meaning or a lot of uh, value. Because without structure, life has no form. And, and without structure, life doesn't have the ability to function. Just, just take the way we're made physically. You know, uh, I'm, I'm mostly structure, you know, I'm mostly skeleton. But, you know, if, if you didn't have any skeleton in your body, you would just be a blob of flesh on the floor and we wouldn't know what you are. We wouldn't know what to call you. I mean, how do you know the difference between one animal and another? It's, it's the structure that gives the shape. It's the structure that gives the, the sense of what that is, identification. It's structure that gives you the ability to function. A blob can't do much. But if you have structure within your flesh, within your life, then you can actually express yourself and, and you can do things and you can function. You, you, it, it helps identify us. It helps us function. Everybody got this or is this too heavy? 
We got this. Okay, structure is an important part of life. Now, now you want more than just structure. I mean, you know, if we were all just skeletons, that wouldn't look too cool. You know, you, know, you want something more than structure, but structure is an integral and important part. Everybody with me? Okay. I want to give you a verse in Ephesians chapter 5, a cool verse, verses 15 and 16. It says, live life with a due sense of responsibility. Live life with an appropriate sense of responsibility. Not as men and women who do not know the meaning and purpose of life, but as those who do. Now, aren't you glad that God has clearly told us what the meaning and purpose of our life is. You don't have to go on this lifelong search to find yourself or discover yourself or discover meaning with your life. Really, the lifelong journey is just discovering the will of God and doing it. I mean, that's the ultimate adventure is to find out why did God create me and then do your best to fulfill that. And obviously, by his grace, you can do that. You know, but that's not something that God hides from us. He's plainly told us in the Bible why he created us. It's basically for these reasons. Number one, to have a personal relationship with him. That's the number one reason we're all breathing today is to know God. And you can do something about that 24-7. He's always present. He's always around. You can always pray, worship, talk to him, read his word, listen to his voice. That's the number one reason we're here is to have a relationship with him. Number two is to be like him, to be made into the image of Christ. He wanted his kids to be made in his image, to bear the family resemblance, our character, our nature. We're supposed to look like him on the inside. Number three is to be an instrument in his hand. He said, be, you know, uh, subdue and have dominion when he created Adam. He wants us to do something, to share in the family business. God and sons company and save the world. You know, we get to be a part of his kingdom purpose. Are you with me? And number four is to pass his life onto others. He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill up the earth with kids. That's not only natural reproduction, it's spiritual reproduction. He wants us to pass on to others what he has blessed with us. Now, I just told you what your life purpose is. So let's get on with it. That's why we're all here. And, and this is why Paul says in Ephesians, don't live like somebody who doesn't know the meaning and purpose. Don't live like you don't have life figured out. We got it figured out. The Bible tells us plainly. Jesus wanted us to know that. We understand what the purpose and the meaning of life is all about. Then he makes this statement in the end of the passage here. He says, make the best use of your time. Despite the difficulties, it's not always easy, but make the best use of your time. Now, that brings up the possibility that we don't always make the best use of our time. Anybody wasted any time ever? Ever feel, you know, it's like, wow, we could all feel real guilty real fast here. It's like, yeah, man, I've wasted time, you know. You know the cool thing, though? Is God set up time to happen in cycles so that there's always new time. Now, you may not be able to get back time that's been lost, but there's always tomorrow. I love it that God has set up life in cycles and seasons and kind of in a rhythm. And so there's always a new day, a new week, a new month, a new year. I've, I was thinking about this last night. You know, I've, I've been in school ever since the first grade. I've never gotten out of school. And somebody's asked me the other day, like, what are you going to do now? And I'm thinking, well, okay, we just ended a school year last week. And, and I, I realized I don't think I would know how to live life without the school calendar. It's like, it's just always been a part of my life. But you know what? I'm actually addicted to it. I like the starting and the stopping and evaluating and then trying again next year and see if we can do better and this or that. And how many of you are glad there's always a new day? 
His mercies are new every morning. That's a cool scripture. You know, there's always a fresh opportunity. And, and, and the Lord, I think, wants us to always look to do better, to always look to grow, to always look to improve. And so he set up even like a cycle that gives us an incentive to do that. It's like, okay, this is a new day. Let's do better. So even if you don't think you've always made the best use of your time, you can, going forward, make better use of your time. Scripture exhorts this. So that leads us to ask about, well, how do we make the best use of our time versus an okay use of our time? And that's what gets us to thinking about priorities. I want to talk about prioritizing. Prioritizing is determining what matters most. To prioritize something, this is what we mean by it, is you're, you're trying to determine what matters most. Now, you can have several things that matter, but they can't all matter the same all the time. And I'm going to show you in scripture that to God, there's some things that matter more to other things. And at different times, different things matter more than other things. So prioritizing is determining what matters most. Also, it's placing things in order of importance. There may be more than one important thing. You know, ultimately, there can only really be one priority. But we broaden the term and all and just kind of stretch the concept a little bit because there's multiple important things. And, but prioritizing is placing them in an order of importance. Like, this is more important than this and this situation, this time. And, and some of this, you know, to prioritize, it's a matter of discerning your, prior, uh, your tendencies. Because we all have tendencies when it comes to what we prioritize or what matters most to us or what comes easier to us or what we prefer. You know, we, we all have our own tendencies. How many of you, um, well, I, I, I didn't realize this until I got married that, uh, that uh, there was a tendency that I had that maybe wasn't the best. When, uh, when I got married, my, my, my wife is, um, she's more responsible than I am. Definitely more responsible. And I quickly found out that uh, her basic approach to life is to work first and then play. She's, she's a work first and then play person. And I quickly realized that that's not me. I'm a play first and then clean it up later kind of person. Now, how many here would say you're a work first play? In other words, you've got to have things in order before you can relax. How many are a work first Oh, wow, that's most people here. Now I feel worse. <laughs> You're so responsible. Well, is there anybody here that's a play first and work? Oh, okay, there's a few of us. Now I feel better. All right, that's good. <laughs> now, after being married for a few decades, you know, she's kind of rubbed off on me. And I think I'm more responsible than I used to be. And I, you know, I can even clean up after myself a little bit, you know. <laughs> In fact, when we first got married, my mother, who loves me dearly and is my biggest fan, but she went to my wife when we first got married and she said to her, sweetheart, I tried. <laughs> she was talking about me. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> I was not very domesticated, but anyway, I'm doing better. I'm doing better. My, now, my point of bringing this up is to really balance out your life and to you know, have a good order and flow to life, you have to discern your tendency and then you gotta balance it sometimes. And, and that, so you might have to tip the prioritizing a little bit just to balance out what is your tendency. So all of you workaholics, lighten up. <laughs> I like to say that. <laughs> okay, and all of us playaholics, let's get it together, okay. <laughs> well, 
What I want to show you is that uh, in scripture, there is often prioritizing. I just want you to see that in the Bible, prioritizing is something that uh, happens a lot. And so, for instance, just going to the teaching of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, there's some of this. In fact, there's lots of it all over scripture. I'm going to give you a handful of examples here real uh, quickly and some bullet points here. But the first one is found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. You probably recognize this statement. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you. There's an order of priority there. There's a seek first. In other words, the focus there, Jesus is saying, you should prioritize God's kingdom. Seek more to be ruled by God. Seek more to come under his lordship and to pursue his righteousness than having all these things. And he's talking about the basic necessities of life. And so how many of you have been a Christian long enough to know that God's priority is he'd rather that you seek him than just have stuff. That God is more important than stuff. That knowing God is more important than having things. That being like God is more important than having things. You know, we're, we're not human havings. You know, we're human beings, you know, and, but we tend to seek fulfillment by having. And, and you know, our economy is kind of so the whole consumer kind of thing is, is you know, to make you want something. It's like, oh, I got to have that new thing. And if I just bought that new thing, then I would be happy. How many of you know that it's a trick? And, uh, you know, well, I, I just experienced this recently. Last weekend, I bought a new barbecue. Oh, man. And I haven't even used it yet. It's a real travesty, but... I, it was like, wow, you know, you had this old barbecue for a while. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm going to get a new barbecue. And you check them out, you know, and you study. It was like, oh, man, there's some cool new barbecues out. Yeah, you know, it was like, and it was so fun buying this barbecue and taking it home and putting it together. But how many know in a year or two, it'll just be the old barbecue? You know what I mean? Now, there's, there's no deep, lasting, eternal fulfillment in stuff. But through knowing God, serving him, surrendering your life to him, becoming righteous. I mean, that's where the real satisfaction is. Are we in? Here's a few more of these in scripture. Another one in Jesus' teaching. It's in Matthew chapter 7. He said, you know, there'll be those in the judgment day that will come and say, we did miracles in your name. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. He said, but I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. I think, wait a minute. What could be more important than doing miracles and saving the world? Well, Relationship is more important than function. Relating to having a relationship with Jesus is more important than to him than what you do for him. So notice there's a prioritizing there in, in Jesus' mind. Another one is in uh, Matthew chapter 5, where, where a, Jesus gives the example. If you're coming to worship, you're coming to bring your sacrifice and your gift to God, and you're coming to the altar to worship, and you, rem- and you remember that there's somebody that's, that's uh, offended by you, he said you should go first and make it right with that other person and then come back and worship. And you'd think, well, isn't worship the most important thing? Well, not when you're out of sorts with somebody else, not to God. So notice how in different situations, different things are a priority to God. Another one is um, Luke chapter 10. And this is the story of uh, Martha and Mary. And you remember Martha comes to Jesus and said, would you tell Mary to help me in the kitchen? And she's just sitting here and, and she's not helping. And, and remember Jesus said, no, wait a minute. Don't, don't take this away from her. He's, she's chosen what is better. This one thing is needful. You know, Jesus was prioritizing something there, relationship above service. One from the Old Testament, just so you see this. There's lots of these through the Bible, but here's just another example is in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 22, where Samuel 
makes this bold declaration, to obey is better than sacrifice. Well, I thought if I worship God enough, then I'll be more motivated to obey. Well, in other words, in different situations, God prioritizes different things. So, and sometimes it's actually a little confusing. You start comparing verses like Jesus taught on the one hand, you know, he says, if I call you to follow me, and he refers to a guy that he called to follow him and who said, you know what, my father just passed away. Could I go give him a decent burial and then come? And remember how Jesus was so amazingly abrupt with that and just said, let the dead bury the dead. If if you don't want to follow me now, it's like, I have to mean more than anybody else. That's serious discipleship. But if Jesus isn't everything to you, he's nothing to you. He's, there's no kind of in between here in terms of prioritizing that commitment. And yet Paul wrote to Timothy in first Timothy chapter, I don't have these on the slide First Timothy five. He said, if you don't provide for your family members, you're worse than an unbeliever to God. It's like, well, can I bury him? Can I not bury him? Take care of my family? Not kick. Anybody confused? (laughs) Well, I'm not trying to confuse you. I'm just trying to say that prioritizing is not simplistic. And we can't reduce God down to just a few little things that we've got bullet pointed in our mind. One, two, three, and that's it. And okay, I just live by this one, two, three, and that does it. No, life is a little more complicated than that. And even God and his prioritizing in different times seems to put more value on different things. Everybody with me? So how do we know what to prioritize when? Is it just left to us to just figure it out? Well, however you want to live life, however you want to do it, just kind of go for it. No, I think, I think this. Life is best when it is aligned with what matters most to God. It's not about us figuring out what's most important to us. It's about us discerning what's most important to God. Because it's when we align to what matters most to him that our life is actually best. Everybody agree with this statement? Have you lived long enough to figure this out? That life is best when it is aligned aligned with what matters most to God. What matters most to God? Well, here's a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11. It says that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our flesh. That the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our, in our flesh. Jesus wants our life to reflect him. Well, how can our lifestyle reflect the life of Jesus if we're not valuing what he values? If what's most important to him is not most important to us. For our life to reflect Christ in the world, this prioritizing thing is a pretty big deal. Now, for just a couple of minutes here, I want to kind of lay a logical kind of backdrop for the practical conclusion to the message here. I want to talk some pragmatics about prioritizing, but let me just put a couple thoughts in place. There are, in the world right now, in our society at least, two main views of life. And a lot of people believe in the accident theory. In other words, let's go to the next slide, the two views of life. A lot of people believe that life is an accident. This is based on the theory of evolution and other ideas like that. And that is that we're just the product of time and chance. We didn't get here by any higher power with a thoughtful, purposeful, creative plan. It just, a swirling ball of gases got going and enough time passed and enough chance happened that all of a sudden all of this complex order that we see just happened by time and chance. And wow, does that take faith to believe You know, to believe that order comes out of chaos without intelligent intervention. I mean, that takes a lot of faith. 
You know, in, in our dorms up at the college, you know, you can't, no student can just say, well, I'm waiting for the swirling ball of gases to come along and put my room in order. You know, just, it does, without intelligent intervention, there's not going to be order out of chaos. You know? And, you know, t- life didn't just happen be by time and chance, you know, just enough time went by and here we are, you know. So then we have no really higher meaning or purpose because we just started with a swirling ball of gases and how do you get much meaning out of that? And actually... The reason this is so popular is it gives you an excuse to be your own God, to be your own boss. Because, hey, nobody invented me. I don't owe my life to anybody else. There's no higher meaning or purpose in my life. So I'm going to invent my own meaning. I'm going to be my own God, the master of my own destiny, figure my own life out. I'm going to do my own thing. Everybody follow that? Well, the other view of life, the one the Bible promotes, is that life is a stewardship. This says that God created us and therefore he owns us. The world is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All they that dwell there. And everything belongs to God by right of creation. And then obviously if you come to Christ, then you're doubly owned by right of redemption. You're brought with the precious blood of Jesus. So life is a stewardship, meaning it's a gift from God. It's a sacred trust. And we are taking care of God's property. A steward is somebody that takes care of somebody else's property. So what we call our life is not really our life in the sense of ownership because what you create, you own. And God created us, therefore he owns us. All our copy and patent right laws are based on that reality. If you invent something, create something, you have ownership rights. God invented me, he has ownership rights. So it's only my life in the sense of stewardship. In other words, I'm taking care of his property. Everybody tracking? Are we having a heated agreement here this morning? Okay, we're all in. We all believe this. Okay. Okay, well then that leads to two approaches to life. If you believe that life is just an accident, then that sets you up to live self-centered because there's no higher power, no higher being. I don't owe anything to anybody else, so I'm going to live for me. And I'm I'm just going to be the master of my own destiny. I'm going to live for my own satisfaction. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do my own thing. There's no higher reason for me being here, so I might as well come up with my own reasons for being here. No higher power to take care of me, so I got to take care of myself. That obviously comes from the accident view. If you believe the accident view, then you're left just to be, you, you're the center of the universe. There isn't any other. The second one is God-centered. If you really believe what scripture teaches, and by the way, Jesus taught on stewardship more than any other subject. If you really believe that you, and you are a steward, that you're, you're ta- your life that you're living and managing, you're taking care of God's property and you're going to give an account to him someday for what you did with the life he gave you and the life resource, then instead of living for your own satisfaction, you're going to be living for God's satisfaction. It's for his glory. We just sang it this morning. I'm living for his, it's for his glory, it's for his pleasure, it's for his satisfaction. So I owe my life to God, so I'm going to live for him, not live for myself. Now, these two approaches to life can look very similar on the surface. For instance, Pastor Mark was talking about working out. You could go to a fitness club. There could be two people working out side by side. And one is doing it for self-centered reasons, and the other one's doing it for God. Two people could be sitting at a restaurant eating, one eating for their own sake, the other person's eating for God. Understand what I mean? One person is out there working out so they can look good, feel better about themselves, attract the person over across there, whatever. They have their own personal reasons. It's for me, it's about me. Or you could be there working out saying, you know what, this body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and I gotta keep it in shape so God can use me and hopefully I'll live longer and when I finally figure some stuff out, I'll still be around to bless other people, you know? It's like it could be for a very God-centered kind of reason. 
One's eating for their own sake, for their own pleasure and sake. The other one's eating like I got to keep my body together so that I can serve God. So I had health and energy to serve God. I play golf for Jesus. <laughs> Not everybody plays golf for Jesus, but I play golf for Jesus because it helps me relax mentally and I'm better in my ministry when I, when I relax once in a while. This is not just some twisted rationalization. I really sincerely mean it. Okay. I'm not sure you're really in on that one, but let me go to my, <clears throat> my last point here. I want to talk about two practical approaches to prioritizing. The way that I started out trying to do this was what I would call the shelf system or uh, blocks or whatever. In other words, make a list of what's more, number one, number two. So I try to think, okay, what's most important? Okay, I knew that the first thing to write down is God is most important to me. Okay, so the top shelf of my life, I knew God was supposed to be first. And so I put, I'm trying to put him first in my life. So, and, and if I were to ask you right now, would you list the main priorities of your life? I mean, we're all sitting in church. We would know the right answer is God, right? So we'd all write down God. I mean, now we may not live like that, but we know that's what we're supposed to write down. And by the way, you know what your true priorities are by what you spend your life resource on, what you give your time, energy, money, et cetera, to. That's really what's most important to you. But we like to make our list. So I tried, I tried this. So I wrote down, okay, God's number one in my life. That time I was newly married, just starting to have kids. So I thought, okay, family's number two. Next to God. So next most important in my life is my family. So God's number one. And my thought about that was I give God the first hour of my day, the first 10% of my money, the first day of the week. So I'm putting God first. Then my family. Okay, I got to give priority time to my family. Next for me was church. I was, uh, you know, newly in ministry here in the church. So I knew church was going to be next because I'm really wanting to lay down my life for the cause of Christ. I felt called to do that. So church was next. And then a close fourth with it was vocation because actually I'd just come on staff in the church. So I realized, okay, those two are kind of blended for me a little bit. But, but hey, I'd still want to serve the church even if I didn't have a job here. So I got to put that a little above the fact that I do work here. you know. So, but those were closely associated. And then I'm thinking, okay, I probably need to keep myself together, so I listed health next. And I'm not saying this is the magic order. This is just a real experience I went through in a season of my life. I thought, okay, then I, you know, I got to keep myself together. And I thought, oh man, what about my friends? You know, I mean, I used to be real tight with them all, but then I got married and got, started having kids, and it's harder to work that out. And 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 now I'm just laying down my life for the church and working here umpteen hours, and and you know, it's. So, but a friend's got to fit in somewhere. And then I put community next, which I don't even know if it should have been on the list because at that time I didn't know the names of any of my neighbors because I was so consumed with, actually just the first three were taking most all of my time and I didn't have any time for the next four. So I'm trying to do this one most and then this one next and then this one. And <clears throat> now maybe you could make this system work, but I couldn't make this work because things would happen like, well, for instance... Glenda and I got into a discussion. We were upset at each other, and I don't even know what it was. I'm sure I was, I'm sure I was the problem. 
<laughs> but, you know, we were, you know, I was upset at her and I thought, I'm the spiritual head of this home. I'm going to go pray about this. So I went and closed the door and went into my makeshift little room of a study there. And I get down and I'm praying and, oh God, you got to deal with my wife. You know, and I'm just, I'm praying and, I, and I'm praying. And then all of a sudden I get this distinct sense. My prayers are not leaving the room. They're like just bouncing off the ceilings. I, I had no sense of God's presence. I had no awareness that he's back in me, you know. And then for the first time in my life, so I start reading scripture. Whenever I don't get anywhere in prayer, I start prime the pump, read some scripture, you know. So I, I start reading, it, and I read First Peter 3, 7, which was a slap in the face because it says, Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, give an honor to them more fragile. And then it says, That your prayers be not hindered. And I remember taking the Bible, reading that again, and I slammed it down. And said, it's not fair. It's not fair. You mean if I'm not nice to my wife, God won't listen to my prayers? And what happened? The second block jumped up above the first block. Because in that instance, I needed to go apologize to her before God would even listen to me. I still don't think it's fair. I had another situation where I'd just been burning out and putting long hours in and a school and teaching and some new classes and stuff. And, and I just kind of broke down physically and got sick for a while. And uh, then I got better. And Sister Iverson, who was the senior pastor's wife at the time, she's in heaven now. But she came to me and, and, and confronted me. And she, she would always stand real close when she talked to you. So she got in my face, literally. She says, Ken, you owe it to the church to exercise. I'm thinking, What? She said, you don't do us any good if you're sick. <laughs> and all of a sudden, number five was now more important than number three. You see my problem? And then I realized God didn't just want the top shelf. He wanted all the shelves. He doesn't just want prominence in our life. He wants preeminence. He, he wanted to talk to me about my family and about church and about health and friends. And he actually wanted me to know my neighbors. And God was just kind of putting his nose in all these other areas. And you, you can't buy God off with the first 10% of your money. He wants to tell you what to do with the 90%. Have you noticed? So this, this approach just wasn't working for me. So I want to give you the approach that has worked for me better. And, and I'll just offer this to you as a suggestion. It's kind of the wheel approach. You can put up the diagram, all the words. With this approach, I view my life more as a wheel. In other words... Different areas of my life are emphasized in different measures in different seasons as my life just moves along. And only one part of the wheel can touch the road at any given instant. So in that moment, any area could actually be the, the area that you're focused on. I couldn't get the shelf thing to work. But this, this makes sense to me. So I just offer it as a suggestion to you. God is at the center. That means he's involved in every area of my life. And he has a say in every area of my life. How have you noticed that God will deal with you about something in your life for a season? And then he'll move on in another season and deal with something else. And then he'll deal with something else. And then later he'll come right back around to that same area. And then he'll deal with that again so that you can grow a little more in that area. And what I've found is as the seasons of my life progress, that God, God wants all of these areas to get stronger and better. And he wants to be the Lord of all of these areas. And he wants me to do good with my family and be, have ministry success in the church and vocation, friends, health. And, and there's more areas that we can put on here. I'm just illustrating a principle here. And, but if some of these areas are going great and another area is really weak, the tire's out of balance. 
and your life gets out of balance and, and you go down the road a little bit and it's like, man, this is going good, that's going good, and then all of a sudden it's a kathump. How many of you have ever had your life kathump? You know? It's like, what about that area? You know, it's like God wants all the important areas of our life to flow together, centered around him. He wants to be in charge of them all. He wants to speak into them all. He wants to improve all of them. And he wants it to be this ongoing flow of life where it's like a balanced wheel rolling down the road. Everybody get the idea? How many of you would say... I think I have an idea what the one or two areas of my life God is putting his finger on right now that he wants me to do better in. How many have a sense of that? Now, if you seek God in the different seasons of your life, you'll find there's always something. But he doesn't come and give you a list of a hundred things and a hundred areas of your life, have them all changed by tomorrow. No, he tends to work in, in any given season of your life. You can discern what is it that God's focusing on? What is it that's the priority now? In this situation, what matters most to him? I believe that if we surrender our lives to God in a continual kind of way, that the Lord will become the center of every area of our life and that all the areas of our life can reflect what matters most to him.